Hello and welcome back to another episode of Woman's Public Access Read Along of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Ma, 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 ma. <laughs> I am your even chapter reader, Isabeau. I'm Morgan. I read the odd chapters. The odd number chapters. The oddball chapters. Kind of 50-50, but unpredictable which one of us is going to re- read a weird chapter. It's true. It is really unpredictable since the chapters are so brief. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan, will you kindly remind me and our listeners what happened in chapter 11? What happened in chapter 11 was pretty much the same thing that's been happening for the last 11 chapters. <laughs> um, so we're still at Netherfield Park. You'll recall it was led at last by the Bingleys, and uh, we're still there because Jane is still sick, Elizabeth's favorite oldest sister. And last chapter, they all just kind of hung out. Jane is feeling better. People are happy for her. And Caroline tried unsuccessfully to flirt with Darcy, while Darcy tried unsuccessfully to flirt with Lizzie. It was mutual. I don't think Lizzie's addressing that yet. And... Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you. That takes us precisely into chapter 12. In consequence of an agreement between the sisters, Elizabeth wrote the next morning to her mother to beg that the carriage might be sent for them in the course of the day. But Mrs. Bennet, who had calculated on her daughters remaining at Netherfield till the following Tuesday, which would exactly finish Jane's week, could not bring herself to receive them with pleasure before. Her answer, therefore, was not propitious, at least not to Elizabeth's wishes, for she was impatient to get home. Mrs. Bennet sent them word that they could not possibly have the carriage before Tuesday, and in her postscript it was added that if Mr. Bingley and his sister pressed them to stay longer, she could spare them very well. Again, staying longer, however, Elizabeth was positively resolved, nor did she much expect it would be asked, and fearful, on the contrary, as being considered as intruding themselves needlessly long, as she urged Jane to borrow Mr. Bingley's carriage immediately, and at length it was settled that their original design of leaving Netherfield that morning should be mentioned and the request made. The communication excited many professions of concern, and enough was said of wishing them to stay at least till the following day to work on Jane, until the morrow their going was deferred. Miss Bingley was then sorry that she had proposed the delay for her jealousy and dislike of one sister much exceeded her affection for the other. The master of the house heard with real sorrow that they were to go soon and repeatedly tried to persuade Miss Bennet that it would not be safe for her, that she was not enough recovered, but Jane was firm where she felt herself to be right. To Mr. Darcy, it was welcome intelligence. Elizabeth had been at Netherfield long enough. She attracted him more than he liked, and Miss Bingley was uncivil to her and more teasing than usual to himself. He wisely resolved to be particularly careful that no sign of admiration should now escape him, nothing that could elevate her with the hope of influencing his felicity, sensible that if such an idea had been suggested, his behavior during the last day must have material weight in confirming or crushing it. Steady to his purpose, he scarcely spoke ten words to her through the whole of Saturday, and though they were at one time left by themselves for half an hour, he adhered most conscientiously to his book and would not even look at her. On Sunday, after morning service, the separation, so agreeable to almost all, took place. 
Miss Bingley's civility to Elizabeth increased at last very rapidly, as well as her affection for Jane. And when they parted after assuring the latter of the pleasure, it would always give her to see her either at Longbourn or Netherfield, and embracing her most tenderly, she even shook hands with the former. Elizabeth took leave of the whole party in the liveliest spirits. Hmm. They were not welcomed home very cordially by their mother. Mrs. Bennet wondered at their coming and thought them very wrong to give so much trouble and was sure Jane would have caught cold again. But their father, though very laconic in his expressions of pleasure, was really glad to see them. He had felt their importance importance in the family circle the evening conversation when they were all assembled had lost much of its animation and almost all of its sense by the absence of jane and elizabeth they found mary as usual deep in the study of thorough base and human nature <laughs> had some new extracts to admire and some new observations of threadbare morality to listen to catherine and lydia had information for them of a different sort much had been done and much had been said in the regiment since the preceding Wednesday. Several of the officers had dined lately with their uncle. A private had been flogged, and it had actually been hinted that Colonel Foster was going to be married. Wow. What's so amazing to me about that chapter is that in I, I need to stop keep I need to stop referencing the Kira Knightley version, but like Matthew McFadden condensed an entire very short chapter into one hand gesture. <laughs> like I'm not gonna talk to Elizabeth at all for the next 24 hours. I'm gonna say 10 words to her, and that's it. And then like it just all explodes. It's true. I get that hand gesture so much better now. I mean, I still love Orson Welles' strained wrist, but I do have to say oh there wasn't a ton of internality with that character. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it, it perhaps for that reason has less of an impact. But I think that's a, that's also really like we do get like Darcy's internality on the page here. And with like the adaptations, it's kind of up to like Colin Firth quirking the corner of his mouth and Matthew McFadden being like mm -hmm. I'm sorry a much better actor yes <laughs> I don't think you need to apologize for that I think it's just like legit true I, but there's like something about that I, I'm actually glad you brought up the adaptations here because it's kind of making me realize like I think a lot of times when we read romance novels we can understand characters as having this like great depth and breadth but in fact mm -hmm. a lot of that is happening internally mm -hmm. we can clearly see on the, like this is a very I, re I recognize that this is like English class 101 stuff but I think it's worth mentioning whenever we're talking about like the idea of an archetype a Darcy versus a Rochester that what Darcy says is very different from what he feels and in fact like our understanding of his character is in the like gulf between what he says and what he says to himself, like what he says out loud and what he says to himself. And so that we can tell that like while he's concerned that he's giving Elizabeth the wrong idea, in fact, he's giving himself the wrong idea, right? Right. But that's not something that's specifically portrayed in the adaptations, there's just a single idea, and that single idea is longing, and that single idea of longing is portrayed by fingers flexing. <laughs> well, it's, it's hard, I would imagine, 
especially in a period piece adaptation, it's hard to create that kind of duality where it's very clear that someone's lying to themselves because Darcy doesn't, he doesn't, there's no person or space to confess that to on film, right? Like without a voiceover of what he's really thinking because he doesn't even talk to Bingley about this. So like he is truly in his head and without the access that we have through our omniscient third person narrator, you know, we don't, that, that gulf that you're speaking to, like how, how do you visualize that on screen? And it, it is, it's flexing fingers, a quirking mouth, um, and then the difference that we get in like the the second half of the book portrayed almost universally by like Darcy loosening his collar figuratively and literally. Yeah, but I think like it's kind of making me rethink my earlier position that Darcy is somehow a projector screen because I'm starting to wonder like can a central character in romance novels the way romance novels function can any of them be a projector screen? Because I understand a lot about Darcy and like his concerns around like how he's triangulating his feelings through propriety and like the choices he's making. I get all of that on the page. Two things. First, I would like to commend you for showing us how awesome and important it is to revisit theses we've had for very long periods of time. Um, The Darcy as projector screen came about when we were doing our January, uh, which hashtag, if you haven't listened to it, it's quite good. You should listen to all five episodes. That's where this theory first came from. It's where the genesis of the Darcy versus Rochester for the purposes of our podcast came from. So the idea that you are now rethinking this thesis is both very, very interesting to me. And it, <laughs> I, I don't know, like I, I too find it difficult to see Darcy just as a projector screen, which was a thesis I was willing to accept uh, after reading so many romances. But the new romance that we've read recently and having read its sequel, I think Darcy is actually extremely complicated in ways, dark ways, not unlike Rochester. And the reason why, part of the reason why he's so complicated is because he has no one to confess to. And so we have this like omniscient third who gives us this special access, but like Rochester's just bleeding all over the page constantly to everyone who will listen. In quotation marks. (laughs) He's gushing. All the time, you know, and like in front of his daughter, like, you know. In all ways. Always. And Darcy isn't, and that creates a, a still pool that I thought was maybe a projector screen, but now I understand is like potentially a still pool. I, you know, I, I, let's see where this goes. I'm glad that we're revisiting it. Still pools are still great for reflections. They are indeed. <laughs> I know earlier I said like, can we have a projector screen main character in romance? But like I came about that, I think, thank you for reminding me that this has been around so long and like where it came from is like reading other people's depictions of Darcy. Mm-hmm. I think I made some good points about them being like projector screens back then. You made excellent points. Like your points were so good that like I remember when you said Darcy was a projector screen, like I was deeply offended by that idea because like I love Darcy. Darcy is always better than Rochester in my mind for a very long time. And I love Darcy's in romance. Mm-hmm. But the more we read of romances that weren't 
Jane Austen, who, like, let's be real, she's like a fucking queen, right? Like, this language is so funny. These stories are so funny. I also have so much more compassion for Caroline than I ever had before. Um, Like, in the hands of a skilled writer, Darcy is complicated. And I think you and I have read many not as skilled writers writing Darcy versions. And in the same way that like the carbon copy of the original document can sometimes get, you know, smudged and become less clear. Yeah. I think that might be what happened to Darcy. He just got carbon copied. Or I just had a thought. Uh Uh-huh. I want to once again put it on our pin board because I, I think I need to like get deeper into the text. But like we get all this internality as the readers, right? Lizzie doesn't get this internality. So he could still very much be a projection screen to Lizzie. He is. And who are we meant to identify with? Oh, Lizzie herself. So as the book progresses, are we as readers getting so, or am I actually, we, let's just, I'm just going to own up to this. Mm-hmm. Am I as a reader getting so swept up in like the idea of this love story and identifying with the main character, the object of affection so much that I too am making Darcy a projector screen. I don't know, but then how does... In that moment, like I'm shedding all of my context. But then how does a chapter like this function, right? Where it's like Lizzie is almost absent entirely other than the asking for of the carriage. And we have paragraphs of Darcy's internality and even that insane detail of I'm only going to speak 10 words to her. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know yeah what a roller backpack kid <laughs> <laughs> but lizzie doesn't know that you know what i mean like she just sees the roller backpack kid she doesn't see what the roller backpack stuffed with which is just like you know notebooks full of like mrs lizzie darcy and like you know <laughs> mr <of> her eyes <laughs> right and it's just mr elizabeth I- bennett <laughs> To that point, though, like, as readers, we're rarely reflecting on characters, what, like an eighth of the way through this? Most of the time we reflect on characters when we get through to the end. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's different. I I know that's what's different for me, overarchingly, like, of this project, is that I'm thinking through every single chapter. And I'm not just thinking about it on my own. I'm talking about it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I want to revisit the idea that maybe we're making a projector screen out of Darcy. Okay. Because things work out so well with Darcy, but we happen to like non-roller backpack boys. We do. He is and so one, then, though. He, and, like, but we need to forget that so that we can continue to like more deeply identify with Lizzie and experience the romance. You know what happens, though? We meet the non-roller backpack boy, and he's really, really bad. Oh, it's teaching us about those single shoulder strap boys. Yeah, who smoke cigarettes. Morality tale. <laughs> I, I'm gonna keep it on the pin board. I'm gonna keep it on the pin board because you're right. Like that kind of blows, that blows on my steam a little. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't. I'll know more when we get there. I think that's actually a really good question to ask. Like, does Darcy exist 
as the main romantic hero without Wickham as contrast. And I think also like, does Darcy exist as he exists in our like zeitgeist imagination? Is he like a totally different guy? Like if we take the book chapter by chapter, yeah. thoughtfully, carefully, closely. Rochester definitely exists without Sinjin. <laughs> yeah, he for sure does. <laughs> he for sure does. I think he's made more interesting by Sinjin. But I don't think we get any, we don't gain any more clarity about Rochester through Sinjin as comparison. We gain clarity about Jane. Here's another deep question. Mm. If you were in an Eiffel Tower with Rochester and Sinjin. Oh my God. Who would you want to be the front one and who would you want to be the back one? Oh God, that entirely depends on, no, it doesn't. I'd want Rochester. No, no, I, I, that, I'd, wow. Oof. I feel tied in knots by that uh, because, like, I would say Rochester in front, but, like, mm, I don't know that I want Sinjin in the back. He's got all that, like, weird stuff about the Bible. I don't think he'd be good back there. Yeah. Yeah, he he would do stuff without asking proper permission and then be like, oh, no. (laughs) He'd be like, God wanted me to. I'm doing the Lord's work. And I'm like, that is not the Lord's work. And then you also have to think about height. That's true. I think I think to answer that question properly, you've got to take like all things being equal, just like their personalities <laughs> being different. Yeah, I think you know. Yeah, no, I I agree. But Sinjin was really beautiful, and are we? It's Rochester before the fire. Yeah, like I mean, like let's yeah, let's just say like there are there are two exact replica physical replica people and one has the personality Personality wise okay okay well personality wise i definitely want to be looking at rochester now see i think i don't think i can trust sinjin behind my back it's true you really can't it's this is a terrible situation that you've engineered (laughs) it really is it really really is sound off in the comments drop us a five-star review with your opinion uh let us know but Anything else to say about, I can't believe such a short chapter was so fruitful conversationally. Well, I mean, you really just blew it wide open with that Eiffel Tower. So I'm going to be thinking about that in my dreams <laughs> and my nightmares. No one can say we haven't made an Eiffel Tower out of a molehill on this show. <laughs> That's for dang sure. With that. Keep your pride. <laughs> and loosen your prejudices. <laughs> Mwah. Mwah.